Find out what the whole world is thinking in The Agenda. Hello and welcome to The Agenda. I'm Stephen Cole. With Europe at the centre of an energy crisis, the world has never been more committed to a future powered by renewables. But just how ready are we to make the switch and are we willing to pay the price? The winds of change. I find out how China is leading the way in wind power. Nuclear is considered a clean power source, so why is it still a dirty word? I hear why it could be the solution. And what will be the global green bill for cleaner power? Renewable energy comes from the Earth's natural sources, such as the sun, the moon and rain, and can be replenished without damaging the planet. In Europe, renewable energy surpassed fossil fuels for the very first time. Wind power is one of the most cost-effective and the fastest-growing source of renewable energy. The ten biggest wind farms in Europe are in the UK, including the world's largest offshore farm. 2021 was the best year for European solar history, as grid connections rose by over a third. Experts predict solar power will double by 2025. Despite the predictability of changing tides, tidal power has lagged behind, partly due to construction costs and the impact on the environment. But the global capacity for renewable energy is enormous. Iceland powers near 100% of its electricity from renewable energy, using an abundance of geothermal and hydro supplies. In Brazil, renewable sources power about 80% of electricity needs, mostly from biomass and hydro. The renewable energy sources installed will bring cost savings of more than $150 billion over their lifetime. But in cost-conscious post-COVID economies, the price of going green may be too high. According to Stanford University, the bill could reach $73 trillion. Could nuclear power be the way forward? Although it uses uranium, which is non-renewable, it doesn't release any greenhouse gases, so many experts are tilting towards nuclear being the low-carbon fuel of the future. A hybrid approach of fossil fuel energy alongside renewables might be the answer, for now at least. Could nuclear power be the solution to the energy crisis and to climate change? The United Kingdom, China, the US and Canada are all attracted to nuclear power, but high costs and slow delivery and some questions over its green credentials means many energy experts are still unconvinced. Well, joining me now is the Director General of the World Nuclear Association, Dr. Summer Bilbao Leon. Um, Summer, nuclear energy only accounts for about 10% of the world's electricity. Why so little? Well, then that is actually plenty. So it's 10% of the world's electricity supply, but it's more than 30% of the total uh, low-carbon electricity. In fact, uh, nuclear energy is the number one source of low-carbon electricity in OECD countries. So, so I would say that is a really, really big uh, contribution today. After Chernobyl and Fukushima, did nuclear energy go out of fashion? People regarded it as unsafe. Well, I mean, clearly uh, the, these events did not do any favors to, to the perception of nuclear energy, that's for sure. But the reality is right now, nuclear energy is quite well regarded. I mean, if you look at, you mentioned some countries, Canada, US, UK, China, 
But the reality is like most of the countries in Europe, over 13 or 14 countries in Europe, they are currently looking at nuclear energy as a key component of their energy mix as they move, move forward. Europe is facing one of the worst energy crises in its history. How could nuclear energy help perhaps ease that crisis? This is one of the big uh, uh, features of, of nuclear energy, the fact that it could be an enormous contribution to energy independence because it is locally produced, it depends only on, on uh, local workforce and local supply chains. So the idea is that uh, you can be very much independent of all these geopolitical crises that we are experiencing uh, around the world right now. Also, the fact that the cost of the fuel, uh, the uranium, which is the fuel of nuclear, actually is very, very little of the total cost of the electricity. So like, for example, if the price of uranium were to double, imagine for a second, the price of electricity would only increase maybe 10%. So, so that is really make it, it makes it very independent of, of the global energy crisis. The word nuclear was toxic to the green movement. But is the green movement coming round to you, do you think? Well, as I say, I think that it is important to forget dogmatisms and be a little pragmatic and realistic and actually based our discussions on science. And the reality is that when you look at the life cycle impact, both environmental and on human and socioeconomic uh, aspects, nuclear energy is, if not the lowest, in the top three lowest impact energy sources. And it's not just me saying this. I mean, there's a recent study from the United Nations European Commission for Europe. This was published late last year, just in time for COP26, in which nuclear energy, as I said, is the, the source with among the lowest uh, impact. So, so again, Yes, nuclear energy has been typically a very easy villain. Uh, we are very, very good at making headlines. But, you know, when you look under the hood, the realities of, of nuclear are, are quite different. Germany has been shutting down its nuclear plants along with some US states. Uh, New York, I think, is one. California is another. Do you see them reversing that decision, uh, setting a trend for the rest of the world to follow? I think that Germany is unlikely that, that they are going to, to reverse their decision. Number one, because politically, uh, I think it's probably untenable in the climate in Germany, even though I am pretty sure that they are probably revisiting their energy policies since the current crisis is putting some of their assumptions at risk. Definitely, some of the nuclear units that have been closed in the U.S. recently have been 100% for political reasons. But for example, you are already seeing in California strong demands that the, the state government reconsiders the closure of the unit that they are planning to close are actually uh, changing their, their point of view of nuclear. And they are recognizing the incredibly important impact of nuclear as a, as a round-the-clock, reliable, uh, clean, affordable energy source. And of course, Germany's neighbour, France, it wants to open 14 nuclear reactors. So exactly, it, it, exactly. it's the sign of countries being torn, isn't it? And perhaps they should, as you say, look at the reality of the science. Exactly. I mean, you know, you mentioned earlier at the beginning, could nuclear be the solution to climate change and sustainable development at a global level? And my answer is no. Nuclear is not the answer. Nuclear is part of the answer. I mean, as, as you just said, we have a 
enormous challenge with climate change and it's incredibly urgent. So I think that we all really need to be very realistic and very pragmatic. And obviously each country is going to make their own decisions based on their natural resource endowments, their, their socio-political situation, history, culture, many things. But, but we cannot afford to take any, any tool from the toolbox. Another problem is the NIMBY problem. We call it NIMBY in Britain, not in my backyard, because yes. people don't want a nuclear reactor built in their community, their town, their city. You know, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that the NIMBY problem applies to all energy sources, to all energy infrastructure. Uh, you're probably right. In particular, it frightens people. Yeah, the reality, if you look at the communities that currently have nuclear units, are typically the ones that are most positive about nuclear energy. So, so the reality is once that our community are, are familiar about uh, what it's like to have a, a nuclear reactor in their midst, they tend to be incredibly positive and supportive. The new innovation that we have in nuclear is these small modular reactors, which essentially could be maybe much more customizable and much more adaptable to this new uh, electricity grids and energy grids that we are seeing coming up as we as we decarbonize all energy systems. They typically are going to be factory fabricated, very simplified, essentially very easy to deploy, much faster to deploy, which of course are going to make these projects much more affordable, much faster. They could also produce other things. I mean, so you know that nuclear energy is the only energy source that can produce low carbon electricity and low carbon heat. And nuclear fusion, which we're hearing a lot about in the UK too. Very exciting. No, clearly, I mean, nuclear fusion is moving incredibly fast because, uh, you know, there's been a lot of research for the last 30 years. And I think that some of these advances are now starting to be very, very applicable to the engineering and, and the, 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 new, the new nuclear fusion projects. And like in nuclear fusion, we are seeing quite a few very interesting ideas of smaller fusion reactors that are perhaps much more feasible from the true commercial deployment point of view. So yeah, I mean, I think that fusion is coming up. I don't expect, I mean, I think that nuclear fusion, large and smaller reactors are the ones that are going to be deployed in the short term, you know, in the next uh, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, the, the ones that we need to deploy right now to address the climate and global energy crisis. But I think that fusion reactors will be will be coming up online in the next perhaps uh, 15, 20 years. That's very soon. Summer, Bilbao, Leon, thank you very much for coming onto the agenda. Still to come here on the agenda, counting the cost. Can the world really afford a green energy future? Welcome back to the agenda. The total carbon emissions from wind power through its whole life cycle, from making the turbines to disposing of them, account for only 1% compared with the carbon footprint left behind by coal. But China is now becoming the leader of wind power after building more new wind farms in 2020 than the rest of the world combined. Joining me now from Copenhagen is Zhao Feng, Head of Strategy and Market Intelligence at Global Wind Energy Council. Uh, Zhao, welcome to the agenda. Tell us a little of what the council does. We are Global Wind Energy Council, in short, the GWAC. We are the head of the industry awards. We are the membership uh, association uh, on behalf of the entire global wind industry. Uh, we do the lobby, help the industry grow, and to attract 
uh, address the challenge um, in terms of energy transition. Again, all in all, that what we do here is to help to fight the climate change. What happens when the wind doesn't blow? Uh, it's a big question here. Maybe years back, it's a big challenge. But looking at where we are today, after four decades of development in terms of renewable, wind has become mature, a reliable energy source. Of course, we, ex we expect and would like to have the wind blow anytime, you know, uh, any single minute. But there is a uh, you know, natural, sometimes the wind doesn't blow, uh, follow the in technology innovation, and we do have the technology like the storage, and we can you know, balance the grid with the support from natural gas. So all in all, uh, we can leverage the demand and supply with the big digital to play to, to maintain reliability of the uh, wind development. Of course, to have wind play the bigger role moving forward, for example, help the entire society to reach net zero, we do need to continue to build the infrastructure and bring more technology in terms of the digitalization, etc. In 2021, China built more than half of all new turbines. It's rapidly making a name for itself globally as a wind power. Why has China decided to go down this route? Since the beginning of 2020, the Chinese central government had made it clear they are going to develop and building their no local industry to support the renewable industry. As you know, China is the largest component and turbine production manufacturing hub. This really helped the industry to support the government initiative. That's why China became the largest market, you know, since the mid of 2010. Last year, in 2021, as you, you already indicated, China installed half of the global installation. Actually, a year before 2020, China installed even more than half of the global uh, installation. It's mainly due to the installation rush in 2020 for onshore. And last year, uh, due to the deadline, they have to catch. Therefore, we see nearly 17 gigawatt offshore wind was built in a single year. What put together in one year, it takes like nearly three decades for the European market uh, to achieve. So we have to say this is a tremendous achievement. What are, Zhao, the economics of wind power compared with, say, coal power, solar power, nuclear power? Do the, do the sums add up? I think in, many, in most parts of the world, the cost of energy for onshore wind is to be now the fossil fuel, coal power plant, natural gas, etc. And we continue to see the decline of LCOE based on you know, the technology innovation. If you're looking at the offshore, even though right now offshore is slightly higher, more expensive than onshore, but the decline rate actually is much more aggressive uh, in the past 10 years. That's what we saw the cost curve uh, in Europe, specifically in the UK. That's why European uh, Commission are going to rely on when as part of their solution to reach their 2050 nuclear target. Now, one of my questions at the beginning was what happens when the wind doesn't blow? So that automatically goes on to the next question. Can you store wind power? That's a, a big question. And, you know, that's what the industry has been working on in the past 20 years. It's relatively more expensive today, but we are confident that with the technology innovation, we can further bring down the cost of the storage, not just the lithium battery, 
now the industry working with different solutions, for example, mini hydro and also hydrogen. Hydrogen could play a transitional role, help the industry to electrify, the hard to electrify heavy industry like steel, cement industry. At the same time, we can store the electricity and uh, use it as the storage. So again, there are multiple solutions out in the market to support the energy transition. We can't automatically rely on wind power, can we? So what percentage do you estimate wind power will represent in the future as a future power source? Since we are working at the Global Wind Energy Council, we do watch the statistics uh, every year. For example, by the end of 2020, the numbers from GWAC indicate that the penetration rate for wind is 6.5%, which means that 6.5% of global electricity actually generated by wind. To reach zero, we are going to have renewable to generate 90% of the global electricity demand. Out of that, 73% will be wind and solar, which means that wind and solar are going to equally share the responsibility. Zhao Feng, Head of Strategy and Market Intelligence at the Global Wind Energy Council. Many thanks to you for joining us here on the agenda. The future of green energy may well be decided by the cost of reaching net zero. Many have voiced concerns that the real problem with cleaner, greener energy is that it's simply too expensive. Here with me to address those worries is Kingsmill Bond, and Kingsmill is energy strategist at the Rocky Mountain Institute. Can Kingsmill economies afford to go green at the moment? Can economies afford to carry on buying fossil fuels? This is an absolute disaster and a tragedy for the peoples of Ukraine and indeed Russia. But what it does do is it reveals the reality of expensive, damaging, high-cost fossil fuels, and this will actually force us to go green. You've got to distinguish between the short-term panic of how do you cut out 30% of, how do you replace 30% of Germany's energy um, with the, the long-term strategic reality that they're going to shift much quicker now to renewables. So, of course, in the short term, they're going to refire their coal-fired power stations, switch on the nuclear you know, buy whatever they can from wherever because it's a it's a crisis. However, um, what this is going to do is going to it's going to oblige them much more quickly to get off fossil fuels. So, for example, as you know, the European Union has said that it wants to replace all Russian fossil fuels in the European energy system. That's 20 percent of our complete entire demand by 2030. The German government has brought forward by a decade the year of net zero. So no, that you've got to distinguish between the short term and the long term. Well, I would say that's extremely ambitious, bringing forward the, the target dates of net zero, wouldn't you? In reality, especially when people are trying to rejig their economies away from fossil fuels, but at the same time, if they can't get the gas and electricity, they're going to go back to fossil fuels. I mean, even Germany are thinking, or they're not thinking, they've said they're going to build LNG terminals again. This is a war, right? So in war, you do what you have to do. And then when peace comes, you change your policy. It's very, very similar, of course, to what happened in the 1970s when we have the, you know, the oil shock and a massive crisis. And then you get rationing and all kinds of damaging consequences. But then what did governments do is 
They put into place efficiency. They massively, at that stage, ramped up nuclear. Our equivalent, what we are going to do this time round, we will also massively ramp up efficiency and we're going to increase the speed of deployment of solar and wind. And, I'm, and I want to make one further really significant point. There is this kind of false narrative that solar and wind are expensive. This is ridiculous. This stuff costs $50 or euros per megawatt hour. Fossil fuels is over 100 now. And actually, therefore, I would see this crisis as being uh, very material to solve some long-standing issues that we and many others have been pointing out for a long time. What role will technology play in future renewable market and going green? Even the IEA says that we have enough technology to uh, get about three quarters of all of our energy from currently existing technologies. And to put this in context, there are non-fossil sources about 20%. So we have an enormous deployment policy problem today. In 20 or 30 years' time, we'll have a, we might start running up against technology blockages, which is why we need to start solving those today. But there's no technology impediment to, to stop us from deploying these renewable energy sources. So what will now happen is, as I say, we will deploy solar and wind more rapidly. We'll put more money into development of green hydrogen. We're going to get more government policies to roll out heat pumps more quickly. We're going to get more efficiency. It is indeed, as I say, the, the catalyst which is driving what needed to happen. Is there a question mark over storage for solar and wind technologies? The storage issue, it has to be pointed out, is an absolute red herring for the system as a whole. When we had 2% of solar and wind in the system, the fossil fuel guys were saying, you know, you can't handle the storage. Now it's like 50% in Denmark, about 25% in, in most of Europe as a whole. Basically, it just keeps on getting solved by clever technology solutions. So storage is, of course, an issue because of the intermittency of solar and wind, but it has been, and it will continue to be an issue which is completely soluble through uh, the application of technology and good policy. How are poorer countries expected to make the green transition? I guess the, the question that you need to ask is, how are poorer countries expected to pay for $150 uh, per barrel oil and $20 per unit gas? I mean, the cost of fossil fuels is catastrophic now for uh, the global south. It was already a problem. Now it's, it's, a, it's a catastrophe. So what needs to happen is these countries need to speed up their deployment of these cheaper, cheaper renewable sources. They need to start changing their policy frameworks to get that solar and wind. The point to me is the global south is absolutely replete with renewable resources, 100 times their current demand, or 1,000 times actually in the case of sub-Saharan Africa. Europe will help through the transfer of technology and expertise, because it's now very much in Europe's interest to ensure that not merely Europe, but the rest of the world gets off their addiction to fossil fuels. Kingsmill Bond, energy strategist, many thanks for joining us on the agenda. <music> Governments around the world are thinking about green power, but more specifically, they're thinking about the economics of green power. Many are under pressure to move away from climate-changing fossil fuels and convert to a range of options, including solar, wind, nuclear and tidal, in order to meet their environmental targets. Going green, though, is a massive change of direction, as renewable energy sources still only account for about 14% of the world's energy needs. But 
Making the switch from one energy source to another will undoubtedly take time as new power plants and infrastructure are introduced. Because switching to renewable energy doesn't simply mean that people choose a new way to power their homes. It means entire companies evaluating how they make money and where they source their energy. It needs millions of homes, schools, businesses and public buildings to adjust how they are run. And it won't happen overnight. Solar power and wind power both have their drawbacks, of course. The recent storms across Europe boosted output, but storms of that size are rare. Hydroelectric dams and wave turbines can only be built in specific areas, and current solar panels can only harness energy when placed in strong, direct sunlight, and both leave their own carbon footprint. The equipment and parts required to construct wind turbines or solar panels often have to be shipped across the country or even the world. What we can do, though, in the meantime, is take a closer look at our individual efforts and keep up the pressure on companies, commit to creating a world powered by renewable energy, and at the same time, make the switch as easy as possible. But as to renewable power, well, the answer isn't quite blowing in the wind, not yet anyway. On a future agenda, could the world go hungry as Ukraine, Europe's breadbasket, comes under fire? But for now, from me, Stephen Cole, and the Agenda team in London, it's goodbye.